0: Hey, good morning. It's Friday morning. It's obviously time for Hollywood breaks. Welcome, Keith. Um, Hello, good to see you. Good to be seen. Okay, listen, Wolverine. That's like a seriously awesome movie that you have going on there. um, The marketing campaign. What's funny is, is when I first saw you this morning, you were like this big on my screen, but I still knew right away that's a Wolverine poster. Yeah, it's, a, uh,
1: it's an iconic image. It's one of my favorite um, and uh, designed for us by Art Machine and BLT. Um, and oh, wait, hold on. You actually
0: know the artist. You, I know. I, well, I,
1: see, I knew you were going to ask me, so I prepped. I prepped him. <laughs> I do my homework. Someone did a oh, piece of see. art. You need to know who did the art, Keith. You need to know. Uh, that. Well, you know, okay, fine. Now I do. <laughs> fun learning, you know? Uh, Life uh, is a, it's a you know, lifelong learning. You know what I mean? So Art uh, Machine and BLT.
0: Awesome. Yeah.
1: I I BLT to this one. Um, I believe this was an um, uh, original Tony Sella idea, um, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, you know, it, it was just, it's such an iconic image, as you said, and it, w- it really was a... Fun marketing campaign to work on it was stressful as I'll get out but um, sure. as most of them are but it was still it was still a lot of fun and we had a lot of great images to play with the movie unfortunately mm, you know wasn't uh, I think up to snuff but you know luckily I think those mistakes were corrected with Deadpool and Logan so yeah the the the, uh, the canon of the Fox Marvel universe was somewhat saved uh, and future installed. <laughs> still uh working on this campaign and you know i, I love that swear
0: you still bleed fox true and true you worry about the. Fox I, I, mean, listen,
1: I yes i do i mean it was such a i mean this is the way i encapsulate my career um you know i started at new line cinema which uh, was basically my film school um, because you get exposed to so much at that company because you know bob shea was you know, uh, um, a, an entrepreneur and sort of a wild cowboy of the industry. And he really shook it up and he did, you know, it, it, it was a great experience for me. And cause from the systems on up, you really were involved in every process. He didn't care about titles. It just didn't matter. It was just, it was just we were working to make great stuff. Yeah. And then I went from there to Fox in the Fox marketing, um, you know, under Tom Rothman and Tony Sella and, you know, Pam Levine and all those guys. And. You know that was sort of like my marketing you know boot camp and i learned more probably in the sort of five six years that are almost nine years that i was there um then i learned i probably would have learned 10 years than anywhere else.
0: sure yeah i mean you you have to know you're one of the most premier people on the planet just to be in the in the realm in the department with those folks um yeah. some of the breakthroughs that they did and obvious attentions that they got for films um, yeah, and,
1: you know, and it was, I got an opportunity to work with some great people. I mean, that was, you know, even even it, it, despite all the stresses of working on some of these movies, you know, my colleagues were just really great people to work with. And you, you kind of have to have really great people to work with because you're basically with them. <laughs> <every week laughs> they are your family. <laughs> if they're not nice people, then it's really, really difficult to uh, yeah, go right. up to work every day. But yeah, I I, I, I mean, I, I, I said a you know a silent prayer this week because uh, Building 88 for those of you who don't know the Fox Lot is the iconic 20th Century Fox uh, lot you know building for theaters. It's where um, uh, you, you know all the famous executives were um, Zucker and you know all those guys were there. And now it's it's no longer a film building. It's become you know apparently the Murdochs are gutting it and turning it into a, a Fox TV building and. All my former colleagues who were there are now over in Nakatomi Tower, also known as Fox Plaza. Um, so you know, I had a lot of great memories in '88, and now it's it's no longer a film building. So. Yeah, it's amazing, huh? This is time.
0: why you are our Hollywood insider. I think it's the <laughs> uh, the connections that you make and, and kind of the the True Blood idea of what what Hollywood is about. Yeah. Um, you obviously knew it in a certain era that it was growing, expanding, and the great people that you met. um are really our other insiders we're we're just tapping on all the people and all the network that you've built over the years to uh to figure this thing out so all right here here's the question i have for you this week are you ready to pay more for netflix because netflix is rising their prices um it's obviously a show probably it's somewhat scheduled but it's obviously a show maybe to wall street to show that they're um getting more serious and trying to raise more money. I don't think they're short of subscribers, although we don't really know that part of it. <clears throat> but it does seem like it's time to raise the prices. Um, do you think they're running out of money because their content needs better financing to make better content for us to consume?
1: I don't, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think they're running out of money because I think your point is well taken that they're, they're Wall Street darling. I mean, Wall Street loves them some Netflix. Um, I think this is the re- reality th- th- they've got. They can't. I mean, we don't really know their financials. We know that they're getting, you know, they have a lot of cash based on, you know, you know, the low interest rates and all that kind of stuff. But eventually, the bill's going to come due, and I think they're they're prepping for that, and they're also realizing they have a lot more competition out, uh, out in the in the landscape now. You've got, you know, Disney Plus, HBO Max, Peacock. You've got all these competitors now that are sort of really you know, asserting themselves in the marketplace now, especially in the era of the pandemic. Um, so I think they're recognizing that. And I think something that doesn't always go acknowledged is a vast majority of their shows are still ho- owned by other companies. Um, so it's not necessarily that Netflix owns everything outright. Um, so I think the idea is that they would love to be able to own some of their own content outright and not necessarily be so reliant on other people's, um, you know, content and, you know, they want to sort of be able to own everything wholly and just be it it be an original Netflix production.
0: Yeah, Um, (laughs) I mean, arguably some of the best content Netflix is not owned by them. They're really a a great platform for the long tail where yeah. Uh, shows that aren't seen on regular broadcast schedule because they're compete with other timelines. They can put it on Netflix. It has a very deep pocket of content and can find the niche audience that you're looking for, especially using algorithms to push things to the top.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's definitely something that they, they need to, you know, take in consideration because so many, like I said, so many of their shows are produced somewhere else. Like for example, um, I think Umbrella Academy is produced by NBC Universal, and Cobra Kai is produced by Sony Pictures. Yeah. So there's still that sort of traditional. Cobra Kai was Academy.
0: originally on YouTube. I mean, it had it was created first, had one audience, and then yeah, Netflix was able to build a bigger audience for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's also it's what they call sort of the Netflix effect. That some in some aspects, Netflix also sort of boosts shows that otherwise may have languished elsewhere. Sure. And, you know, take yeah, like Schitt's
0: Creek, totally. Yeah,
1: Schitt's Creek, which found it, really found its audience, which yeah. also may to it's, you know, Emmy you know, Sweep, which we've discussed yeah. previously. And yeah. then you look at Cobra Kai, which is on YouTube Red, which is now found a home on Netflix, and also You, which was on Lifetime, and now all of a sudden is like a huge hit for Netflix. So I think, you know, there's a lot of things happening here, but I also think Netflix still uh, wants to start owning a lot of its mm-hmm. own content and creating its own content. And I think the reality is that, that you know, they're going to need to bump the, the prices every now and then. I don't think it's, it, they're not huge bumps, but at the same time, I think it's an acknowledgement from Netflix that, you know, we still need to have a lot of money because we, we still have to churn out a lot of content to remain competitive now with all these other players getting into the, into the game.
0: Yeah, it's. Um, I, what's interesting to me is that they're raising their prices when when Peacock comes out, and you know half of Peacock, or who knows how many of their viewers are subscri- uh, subscriptions are free. Mm-hmm. But you would think that in the competitive marketplace with the new platforms coming out, Netflix would have done done the opposite, make sure that they retained the people instead of raise the prices. Um, but maybe the you know obviously Reed Hastings and the team knows what they're doing. They've played these price hike games before. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I don't think they do it. It's not something they do willy-nilly. They definitely think through it and they strategize. And I'm sure, like you said, Reed definitely had and you know his team definitely have sort of a, a process of how they're going to you know roll these out over the course of you know how many years. But again, I think it's just an acknowledgement that you know we need that money. We need to start producing more content. And you know, they've made some really lavish deals over the course of the last few years with Ryan Murphy and whatnot and. I think they're really you know, like, okay, we need to make sure that we have the money to keep funding these projects and keep bringing things in here and, you know, really making us sort of the the not, you know, first stop for anyone who's interested in, um, you know, being on, you know, the platform. And I think that's yeah,
0: really- Yeah, I, I, I'm still somewhat of a skeptic, <clears throat> might be too much of a pragmatist, but- the um, the reality that they're doing something and losing money, they're not even playing the same game that other people are doing.
1: Well, I mean, they're not. I mean, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't, we still don't really know their metrics of viewers. Like they, they keep changing. Like at first it was like two minutes. If you watch it for two minutes, then it counts as a view. And mm-hmm. that's not the same metrics that people who work in theatrical, you know, when it, the business was, you know, up and running <laughs> or in even TV. That's not how they, or linear TV. That's not how they talk about this stuff. It's, It's not, oh, I watched two minutes of the latest movie so that my ticket sales count. No, that's not how it works. And and, and we don't really have a full understanding of their financials. We don't really understand how much debt they have. I imagine it's quite hefty, but, you know, who knows? We We don't know any of that. And, but that doesn't seem to bother those on Wall Street who invest because Netflix is such a dominant player and they were really the first ones out of the gate to really get this, you know, model up and running and to be a success at it.
0: Yeah, but it's <clears throat> they they had the ability to build it from from the ground up, which is yeah. kind of different than if you had an existing content platform. Right. Um, yeah. I'm, I uh, okay. Here here's the I'm going to move on to the next topic because you sent me this text message about two days ago. Oh. Yeah. And it's the uh, it was the article for the Sony Pictures realignment, uh, which yeah. is very cool. But what you said was. I talked to my buddy at Disney and they still don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. so there seems to be some kind of, obviously, shift in Hollywood that's taking place where these large studios are basically realigning their platforms to have go through one funnel. So they're saying, here's a piece of content, we're gonna be platform agnostic in our thinking, we're gonna find the best uh, distribution for that content Maybe before it's made or after it's made or, you know, based on the be able, ability to react to the market with, with the COVID process happening. Um, but, but what's really happening is, is that when you start funneling people through one channel, marketing's going to change too. Like you're going to have one person deciding what platform it's going to be on and therefore yeah. deciding who's going to work on it. Yeah. That's a huge shift for people. Um, especially if your buddy at Disney is still wondering what his job's going to be, or her job—I don't know which one it is—but I can give away who. will no, no, no,
1: I, I, I keep it in my hand. Uh, uh.
0: <laughs> but we do know that there's like there's the reality of something that's happening, and it's happening at the big studio space. So um, you know, inside and out, people are wondering how this is really going to play itself out over, over time.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. So you know, I'll kind of give a sort of overview of what happened. So um, Sony Pictures Entertainment has combined basically their theatrical home entertainment and TV distribution marketing all under one sort of content umbrella. Um, so they basically, uh, Josh Greenstein, who was sort of the head of theatrical and home entertainment marketing, and Keith Legoy, who was the head of uh, their uh, distribution, uh, global or TV distribution, marketing are sort of the head of this new operation. So they're putting it all under one sort of umbrella. So it's basically a content marketing hub. And, you know, I think what this sign is a sign of is that one Sony's acknowledging that habits are changing, things are shifting. Um, But also that content marketing is content marketing. Um, Now that's not to say that there aren't some expertise that come from each channel that you're marketing for example you know there is a, an expertise to cutting a trailer that you're not necessarily going to get especially if, for a film trailer versus a um, a tv a tv show yeah, trailer. The 30 there's, versus
0: there's, a yeah yeah
1: there's different there's are different expertise models here and you know the involvement of you know paul noble and daniel misher who oversee global theatrical marketing they're also a big part of this re or they're going to be sort of running it um, um and reporting up into um josh and keith so I think that acknowledges that theatrical marketing and the, the, the philosophy of it, and the skills involved in selling um, a global campaign in the theatrical model still has value and the skills are there, um, but it also acknowledges that, you know, there, it, it, it you're if from a sort of cost perspective, you're gonna save money as you've just sort of put everybody under one hub and there's sort of one strategy and one sort of idea behind pushing out your marketing materials and how, how best to reach your audience. I think, I, mean, I'll be honest,
0: I think there's going to be a huge learning curve for okay. many of the teams that are out there because I think there's um, like theory, you know, like, oh, well, you know, I was really good at film. So therefore, I'll be really easy at any platform or whatever. And in, in reality, the different viewers on different platforms really does make a difference. How you get the information out there. How do you create engagement? How soon between when I watch um, the marketing piece, and I can actually watch a piece of content in a trailer. Basically, it's a s- small feature because I'm watching it two or three months before the uh, the content's even available. Yeah. Where you're doing some TV or OTT platform, I can watch watch that promotion and then click right away. So yeah. very different promotion, very different need um, mm-hmm. for each of those. Not to mention the um, the direct to consumer elements of some of these marketing pieces. Like I can hit up instead of sending out what um, a kind of a global piece and hoping the demographics attached to it, what women's film, urban film, whatever the kind of uh, demographics are that when they make the content, now mm-hmm. they can d- directly market and even create more content. So I can see the need to merge the departments um, and create a, a global strategy for each piece of content. Yeah. Um, but I think it's gonna be, I think some of us fans of film marketing and TV marketing, Are going to be a little disappointed. I think there's going to be a learning curve that um, we're we're going to kind of miss some of the glory days of.
1: Yeah, I I think I I think it's also you know they're they're reacting to sort of how things are in the current marketplace and your viewer habits are changing. But you know I was talking to one of my uh, my contacts yesterday, and you know she brought up a really great point in terms of like well you know I think the last time there was like this sort of pandemic feeling Mm -hmm. was like the Spanish flu in 1918 1919, and then we had the Roaring Twenties where everyone was just sort of having a great old time. So are we headed to something like that once we get through this pandemic to the point where people are gonna wanna go back to the theaters and really just get that experience back because we've been trapped in their house for two years or whatever it ends up being, that they really wanna go back to that. So does that shift the model back to sort of the traditional theatrical marketing? And Because you're right, like a trailer, it's anticipated. When when there's an anticipated movie and it's a trailer runs or uh, I'm a Super Bowl or during a you know, high uh, viewed event. That's a big deal. But where a TV show, nobody really watches a trailer for a TV show. It's not something that really cap- captures people's minds. I mean, the one that I can think of off the top of my head that was so relevant that really helped launch the show was the This Is Us trailer, which was very well received and was one of the highest viewed TV show trailers ever. But that's, that's, that's an outlier compared to sort of what happens in sort of theatrical space. So they'll definitely be interesting to see how this shift happens. I think the, the combination of all these heads is a little top heavy. So I think there's gonna definitely be some baking off, the bake off, if you will, oh, yeah. um, happening here. And it'll be interesting to see who ends up winning out cause that could lead to what, what sort of the strategic objectives and how they best approach each piece of content. Um, you can imagine that if it's Josh, that he's, you know, his history is in theatrical. So that may be where he starts to pull things if he ends up, you know, ultimately being the one guy who runs the show. But if it's, or if it leans more towards Keith, then maybe he'll be more on sort of his TV instincts. And so it, it's definitely a lot of learning, but I think it, it's, it's, it's headed in sort of the direction, I think, where the industry as a whole is headed. And it'll definitely be interesting to see how this sort of affects other departments and other companies and uh, the other media companies. If, they, if they're like, oh, well, this is what we were thinking, let's see how this goes. Um, you know, I think Disney is definitely watching this with interest for sure. Um, and my, my, bu- my, my buddy's comment in terms of, we don't really know what this means, I think really puts the pressure on Disney for this December um, Wall Street presentation on what this reorg means. Because then that, we're going to get a lot more detail in terms of what that looks like, how they're reordering the whole, you know, department. Because the way they made the announcement, it seemed like all the studio was going to be like, you know, a movie, a movie content hub, theatrical content hub. And then, you know, the network was, or the TV place was going to be TV content, but where does that leave marketing and distribution? So that was sort of like the big question. And so I think that's why December is going to be sort of even more of an eye-opener for us looky-loos watching um, Disney from afar. Often what
0: happens when these studios make these big shifts though too is that a lot of the marketing um, and help actually goes outsourced because yeah. all, everything's being moved. People are grabbing their favorites or um, trying not to play favorites. Um, sometimes they try to bring it all in-house and that really they, a lot of studios struggle when they do that because there are very limited resources um, to the experiment with. Uh, yeah. so a little bit of a boom to outside vendors, and when uh, some of this reorg happens, because it really needs to keep on making content; they don't have a choice. Yeah. But the internal issues and internal fighting can create opportunities for others. So we might see another kind of big boom out in the field, where for yeah. many months that that group's been shut down. You know, like yeah. when the pandemic hit, they they sucked everyone in house as fast as possible. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and stopped doing. Yeah.
1: that. Yeah, I mean, there's still like Universal still does a lot of their own stuff. They do have an in-house team. They never really got rid of it. Disney has an organization which is called The Hive, I believe, which is their sort of their in-house marketing department. Netflix is an in-house team too. But there's still a lot of work going outside, um, you know, to other vendors. Um, so yeah, I, I think you're right. I think this is going to, because there's going to be so much happening at the same time that it's going to, you're going to need more than just sort of your in-house team to handle it. You're going to need sort of the outside vendors as well. So that, I mean, it's, it's a good sign for them. Um, you know, the flip side of that to play devil's advocate would potentially be that every executive has their favorites. And if one executive is sort of put in charge, they're going to go to their favorite vendor all the time. And that may be a short rift for the sort of the smaller vendors who don't necessarily, you know, win on every single project and don't get regular projects, but just get all the little small projects throughout whole studio and if you combine all the operations into one umbrella that lessens the opportunity out there
0: yeah especially with layoffs you hopefully you bet on the right horse when and when the time comes and your 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 person makes it and the other person (laughs) other group doesn't. i mean i think yeah
1: and i think the the, to your layoff point you know right now they're saying there's only sony only had like 35 layoffs but i don't know if that's the end i think you know you're going to see more as they combine operations there's going to be more shift and like, well, who's going to run all the creative marketing, who's going to be cutting all the materials. So it'll be interesting to see how that the shift continues. And I think they're they're also going to be learning as this process goes on.
0: And we have a lot of friends in that field. So we'll be paying yeah. attention to that and seeing um, what that's going on. But I, I know a lot of people are, are waiting to see what happens there or even more jumping over to Netflix to make sure that they're secure because Netflix is still producing content like crazy. Okay, NBC, NBC Youth, uh, they came out with their first numbers on Peacock, 22 million. It seems yep. like a pretty good start for, for Peacock. Um, yeah, interesting, I mean, is it's a platform it's, that's pay or free, so. Curious. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's interesting because they didn't, they didn't really discuss the, uh, whether or not the breakout of the numbers, whether or not how much of it was free and how much of it was paid, because there are basically three tiers for Peacock. There's the free option, which gives you all commercials, there's the, like, it's like, um, this is the option I have, which is like $5 a month and you get limited commercials. And then there's the $10 a month, which is like no commercials. Um, so, you know, I, I, we don't know the breakout. We don't know what the breakout looks like and, you know, who's paying, who isn't. Um, still, it's a nice number. Uh, don't get me wrong. Um, I think the, the, the other side of that coin, though, is that at the same time, there are Announcing 22 million subscribers, they also cancel one of their more pricier um, new originals, *A Brave New World*, which uh, you know, some estimates have it was like a hundred million dollar show, which is insane for a for a, a, a TV show. Um, so it, it's interesting because okay, they got 20 million subs, but w- what originals do they have that are still going to be like? Because it seems to me that you got Netflix is like the king, and so they've got all their shows, and then Disney Plus. You know, yes, they had Hamilton, yes, they have Mandalorian, but at the same time, a lot of their viewing is still the classic library content, but that 's content and that 's a library that expands generations, like yeah. I can sit and watch with Robin Hood, the original with my kids, but they 're going to want to watch Frozen Two fifty times over, and like that 's not you know, you go to the other you know the other um the other, uh, the other platforms like HBO Max, you know, they had their West, their West Wing reunion, which obviously helped their sub slightly a little bit. Um, but what, what, what's Peacock's original? And Peacock doesn't really have a library that inspires sort of like cross-generational excitement to the point where like Disney+, Plus, where they can sort of rely on that library and still sort of work out what their content strategy is going to be in their original strategy, where now Peacock, Needs to figure out whether or not they're going to go on that route and sort of focus on like originals. Um, you know, they've got a lot of library titles that are buzzworthy. Um, for example, my wife and I have been watching Friday Night Lights all over again. So, you love that Friday Night Lights. Keith. Oh, I love me some you Friday, love Night Lights. That Friday Night Lights.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think you just love uh, Peacock because you could finally watch Friday Night
1: Lights. <laughs> if we're, if we're somehow Peter Berg watches this, dude. The Panthers won their first title in 2006. 2021, 15-year reunion. Bring everybody <laughs> back on the field. <laughs> what is that? Uh, I love idea. it. I mean, start making of, the
0: marketing you know, for it now, Keith. You can get the rally. It
1: Writes it itself. I mean, come on. <laughs> Who doesn't want to celebrate the Dylan Panthers? I mean, really. Anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, it, that. I mean, that's. It, but that's what they. That's what they have to start thinking about. Like, are we going to be? Are we going to lean more towards originals or? Are we going to, for example, I mean, you brought this up earlier. Are we going to be, example, compete with Netflix, sort of finding those shows, yeah, maybe able to find traditional on linear TV and sort of pop, you know, poaching some of those and bring them new life?
0: I mean, I mean, seriously, right, right? You have Netflix is proving that to make original content doesn't always win. You can yeah. just go find the good content and, um, you know, curate that. It's NBC, that's what they've been doing for like a hundred years is curating good content, finding content makers and distributing it. Um, And some of the best on the planet over the ages have been right there on NBC, NBC Universal uh, pieces. Why not keep up with success and try to, instead of trying to finance original content when there are plenty of studios out there making it and they can still kind of win the long tail model. I guess, I guess for me, like the, they're gonna, they need some piece of notoriety though to separate them. Um, really, with them as a player now, um, and I'm so curious on how these numbers work. You have, um, let's see, HBO Max says they have uh, 40 million subscribers. Disney has over 60 million subscribers. Netflix has over, almost 200 million subscribers. Now, um, Peacock has 22 million subscribers. That's a lot of people trying to figure out where to f- watch their show. And we're not even talking about YouTube and Snapchat and all all these other kind of distraction Mm -hmm. medias that are out there. You know, it's the navigation of where to find the show. So I know Friday Night Lights is on Peacock. It's worth the subscription. And I know I'm going to start there. And maybe that's, you know, they start with um, a good uh, piece there and then they get to watch secondary media. So you stay on their platform. Um, But that's a lot of There's a lot of small little bills that people are paying on their credit card every month and you're going to have to keep up with it. Or I can imagine the drops happening pretty, pretty. I think there's going to be a lot
1: of churn. I mean, that's my, I mean, uh, be frank, I'm considering dropping Peacock because once we're done with Friday Night Lights, why do, why do we still need it? Like, Mm -hmm. and I think that's what a lot of what's going to happen is you're going to just have churn. Like you're going to have churn where people sign up when the shows are good and then they just let it lapse in a month. Um, now the thing, the you know the other side of that is well okay, but if you subscribe through Apple, for example, it automatically just bills like, and then you just lose track of it. You're just like, yeah. oh, and it's just it's. it's I a think sp- that's what
0: a lot of people depend on. Like I, you know, honestly, I have YouTube TV, and when I really want to watch a show, it's somewhat te- like a, the old TiVo days. Like it's you can just watch the show. It's uh, on demand on on H, um, YouTube TV. Yeah. Um, but to your point, I've had it for a few months and forgot I had it until the World Series. And then I was like, well, yeah. oh, wait, I, ha- I can watch this right now. Even though know I'm in Florida, I can, I can tune into this thing. Yeah. Um, so there's opportunities, I think, for everyone to kind of lose, um, lose the content too. Like if everyone has infinite content, then really it's going to, the navigation part of it's going to be very difficult. Yeah. And as we point out many times, the what to watch problem really becomes the problem to solve. And these marketing teams, even though they become centralized, are only centralized within their one platform and they're just, you know, creating more noise against each other instead of having a cohesive um, strategy somehow of what a cable provider used to do, which uh, give you a cohesive strategy and tell you what to watch, regardless of how many channels they have, they can have one platform there. We're missing that part of the universe right now.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean just going back to Peacock, the the way they're advertising now is they're basically just advertising buckets of shows. Like, here's our sizzle with our medicine shows. Here's our, uh, you know, sizzle with our crime shows. And I'm like, you know, this isn't okay, but that's not, no, like you need a more coherent strategy, like you said, that sort of plays into sort of helping people find the content, not just listing. Like Everyone's just all into the sort of the BuzzFeed-esque listicles of like, here's all the content we have on our platform that's in this one bucket, you know, and that.
0: Well, if the direction's coming from Comcast in Philadelphia, I'm honestly not surprised that's how they're doing their marketing. I've been in some of those rooms where people create those buckets, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah. yeah. So-
0: Yep. the that bucket mentality to think like oh we're the place for a certain genre seems to have always been a little bit of their language out there i'm not yeah. i guess i'm not too too surprised to me i think it's uh i'd be curious to see how it's really going to play out are they going to really try to replicate what their competitors are doing or just recognize hey we're really the location for everything um, because it has to be part of comcast strategy and comcast is a cable provider I can see really Peacock being an OTT cable provider and not really caring about uh, owning all the content along the way, because um, they could be a place for secondary or ongoing content. Um, yeah,
1: and that's, a, that's actually an interesting idea because with all the cord cutting that's happening, you know, you, and Peacock has a lot of, you know, NBC Universal has a lot of channels under its umbrella. There's a lot of things you can watch and not need to be hooked up to the cable of it yeah. maybe the sort of the the answer to that I, I do think you're right i think all these these platforms need to figure out what they're going to do and what their strategy is versus just being another ott service um and i think that they all kind of have to figure out how they're going to play this game and take some lessons from what netflix is doing right and what netflix is doing wrong and try to figure out a way to make it work for their business and and you know all the the content they have available
0: Yeah, and I I read an article this week where ESPN is struggling because, you know, they're the darling of cable providers, but as cable cable subscribers shrink, they're losing that revenue stream. Um, And they know that if they flip straight to direct competitor, then they're basically off like their $10 billion a month, you know, cash cow that they're sitting on top of uh, as cable providers. So it's something like ESPN, you can see Peacock maybe playing nice in a certain way. I'm saying giving uh, ESPN a future home as a, in, a, in a streaming platform and not worrying about the competition of it. Um, I, ESPN can obviously handle it. They're, they're part of the Disney universe. They can figure that thing out. But I feel like ESPN always sits outside, like ABC and, and ESPN always sit outside looking for viewers for sports. Like they're winning in that, that space and they should be agnostic, not care where where someone's watching their stuff as long as someone's watching ESPN. Yeah, exactly. Um, So pretty interesting. We'll see how that plays out. Clearly these big shifts are uh, taking place every single week and we're just it's great to be able to to process and find this stuff i love the wednesday afternoon text messages i get from you where you're like mid-discovery like are these people watching our show because they i, mean,
1: that's, I mean, that's what i said this week i was like see uh, we talked about this i knew this was gonna happen look how smart i am no, i'm just kidding i'm not that <laughs> yeah. please don't think i'm that big of an ego guy i'm not i'm not just remember what tin said i'm a good all-around guy yeah. Yeah, good all-around. <laughs>
0: And truly, one of the industry's leading consultants when it comes to marketing. So you got to go. be like, yeah.
1: I'll a player, <laughs>
0: All right. Well, that's, uh, that's my hit list for this week. I still, you know, League of Legends uh, f- Champions, championships happening tomorrow afternoon. So we at one point, we have to jump over to the video game space because talking about millions of viewers that we're not even talking about. And it's real content. It's not. Nobody's sitting around guessing what that stuff is. People are tuning in. They know what it is. They're rooting for their favorite teams. And that's just the beginning of of that stuff. So, um, those of you in the gaming space, we know that you're out there. We hear your voice, and and uh, we'll get to it. We just, uh, I guess we're we just lean towards um, what our buddies are telling us on a week by week basis. So um, we'll get there eventually. Keith, <clears throat> thanks again. Another great week. I look forward to next week's poster. I, I'm kind of concerned when you start running out. I, you're gonna have to like get on eBay and start. Oh, Tim! The poster, Tim so. it's going
1: take me a long time to run out. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> there might be some, a few randos thrown in there, but you know, yeah. I'm not gonna run out for quite some time. If Don't you worry.
0: if you run out, I know some, uh, I know a hallway full of uh, posters uh, sitting in Philadelphia. Maybe we can call those guys and ask to borrow some of their movies. Posters. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: maybe, maybe, so
0: maybe. Chernobyl. That poster's right there. How can you yeah,
1: not? Yeah, it's, right it? <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs>
0: All right, my friend, thank you again, and thank awesome. you, Lydia, for supporting us behind the scenes. We appreciate the work that you're doing for us on social media, getting the word out there. Uh, those of you who uh, love our show, been watching it week by week, we appreciate you. Please subscribe to our channel. We'll be able to make more content for you and get that out to you sooner. And of course, Ethan, um, you know, always the guy editing the stuff behind the scenes. Um, thanks for being part of what uh, the support and the Red Thing team support that you guys are doing out there. Um, Keith, I can't tell you how much I look forward to this. So um, uh, hopefully Friday com- next Friday comes sooner than later. There's going to be an election between now and next Friday. Okay. So we'll, uh, we might or might not have something more to talk about. Than yeah, maybe. We'll when see. that time comes. Um, but until the Civil War begins,
1: I appreciate you, and I look forward to doing more of this. Nice. Way to, way to end on a happy note.
0: <laughs> All right. We'll see you next week.
1: See you next week.